We've been in a series on the confidence paradox. A paradox is a truth that appears to be contradictory. Uh, the kingdom of God is the way up is down. Humble yourself, I'll exalt you. If you don't, I'll humble you. Uh, the way to get is to give. The way to win is to lose your life for my sake, Jesus said. Totally contradictory to the culture and the natural world. And we're looking at that word confidence and what it means to be confident. St. Paul says, we're always to be confident, but not in myself or my own skill and ability, but in God, because God is here and God is at work. So I don't have to depend on myself only, thank God, or worry about myself. So we've been looking at this very interesting guy in the Bible named Jacob and how especially when he feels vulnerable, he doesn't like it. He wants to have authority, but he doesn't want to be vulnerable. This week, we're going to bring it all to a close because there's one problem in Jacob's life that persists his whole life. And if you don't get it, it can wreck your life and relationships. I'll start by asking a question this morning. Who taught you how to lie? And the crowd goes silent. It's kind of an odd thing. Almost everybody out here would be able to say, who taught you how to drive? Who taught you, well, that for Texas, some people never did get taught, I think. <laughs> who taught you how to ride a bike? Who taught you how to play an instrument or a game? But actually, no one needed to teach us how to lie. We go astray from our mother's womb. <laughs> Every mom could say amen to that. You didn't get a seminar. You didn't get a podcast. It was part of your old fallen nature, right from a baby bed. I was reading some research this past week that a six-month-old baby can fake a cry to lure its mother or father in to look and give them some attention. That little sucker is a liar as soon as you bring it home and knows he can play you like a yo-yo, knows that little thing even before he has words. So then we get older and we start to learn to use words, but we don't grow out of lying. We just learn how to use words to deceive other people and we get much better at doing it. There's a guy named Robert Fieldman. He's a researcher at the University of Massachusetts and he found that the average adult lies three times in 10 minutes of casual conversation. That's the world we live in. That's government, Washington, the political venues, corporations, advertising. Take a sip of this before bedtime, lose 20 pounds in a month, don't have to diet. Only Americans believe the lie. I mean, it's just amazing to me. I, I was thinking, that means every time I do a 30-minute sermon, I'll lie on average nine times if he's right. So if I just shrink the sermon down to 10 minutes, I'll have six fewer lies. So this week I thought, I'll just do a 10-minute sermon. That's a lie. <laughs> then we get smoother at it, don't we? And we find ways to get offended if other people catch us lying and we don't want to be caught. Even, even the most famous stories get tainted with this thing of lying. A lot of you will know the most famous story in American history about the nobility of telling the truth. It's a story about George Washington. One day his dad came home and the prized cherry tree had been chopped down. He said, who chopped down my cherry tree? And little George with his little ax famously said, I cannot tell a lie. It was me. 
And as it turns out, the whole story was just made up. It was in a book over 200 years ago written by Parson Weems. He was an Episcopal clergyman, and he just made the whole story up. The most famous story about not lying in American history is a lie told by a pastor about a politician. <laughs> Only in our country. So what if we were just to say deception is so woven in everything and messes so much up, causes so much pain, a lot of heartache. We just agree together to cut out lying in our repertoires. You know, we're going to ask God to help us. No more exaggeration, no more evasion, no more spin, no more hiding. It would be kind of scary, wouldn't it, if you're just naked with the truth? Because a lot of people would rather hear a lie than the truth. They just would. Please tell me those are the original miles on that car. You know, mm -hmm. Well, anyway, Mark Twain took a couple of Bible verses and mixed them up and put them together. He said, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in time of need. <laughs> Not a bad definition, right? Because here's the thing. The reason we lie is we're not confident God will take care of us if I tell the truth. Tell Washington that. Tell these politicians that. Tell our local government that. Tell everybody in the media that. Nobody wants to hear the real truth, so they hear the lie. So it's spin, spin, spin. See, if we live in confidence with God, we're actually able to live in truth. I can't actually live in the truth unless I'm confident in something greater than how my circumstances might turn out. This is how John put it. His friend Jesus had said, the truth will set you free. Lying won't. It will bind you. The evil one, Satan, is the father of all lies. That's in John 8, verse 32. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. So that's the great invitation. We are to live in confidence in the grace and mercy and love of God. But first, we got to walk through this. What does it look like to be in the darkness? What's the anatomy of deception? Why and how do we do it? Well, we go back to finish this story of Jacob because it's here from beginning to end. His dad is Isaac. His dad, Isaac, has a favorite son, Esau. Jacob is the non-favorite son of his dad. His dad is old, he's losing his sight, his senses are failing, and this is what he says. I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. He says to his favorite son Esau, go hunt me some wild game, prepare me that stew I like, so I may give you, Esau, my blessing before I die. <clears throat> now we Americans read that and there's deception going on in what I just said, but we'll miss it. Ancient readers would catch it immediately. It was a stock scene in ancient literature. When the head of the family, the patriarch, was dying, there would be a deathbed scene. He would call his sons in around him, all of them, and give them each a blessing, but the best one to the firstborn. Isaac doesn't want to do that because he wants to play favorites. He wants to give all the blessing to Esau. He doesn't want Jacob to know about it, doesn't want to give something to Jacob, so he finesses this deal, and he says to his son Esau, now, son, 
I don't know. I might not be dying. I'm not sure. So we don't need to call all the boys in, but I might be dying. So I have to give the blessing to you. <laughs> Schmoozing right through this thing. Then Esau doesn't say, oh, dad, no. It, it, this might be the big destiny moment. We got to call in my brother. We got to bring Jacob in here too. No, he just says, okay, I'll go hunt the game, bring you the stew. He colludes with his dad. And deception almost always involves collusion. And people are generally willing to do it because they want in too. Esau wants in. And then that means Jacob's out. Now, Rebecca, the mom, the wife of Isaac, she hears this. She, she could have brought it to the light and says, Jake, we got to talk. You know, as a family, we need to bring this thing out. This is a mess going on. But she doesn't. She decides there's deception going on, so I'm going to use deception. See, we often feel justified when we use it. She calls Jacob her son, her favorite son, and tells him what's going on. And she says, Jacob, you put on your brother's clothes. Your dad's old and blind. He won't know. His senses are failing. He'll think you're Esau. I'll fix the stew. You can tell him you're Esau. You went out, hunted it down, and you watched Rachel Ray, and you cooked it. Then you get the blessing. Now Jacob has a chance to bring stuff into light. He could have said to mom, we can't do this. It's a lie. It wouldn't be right. We need to tell the truth. But he doesn't. He colludes with mom. Everybody's colluding with everybody here. So he says, okay, I'll do it. I'll put on Esau's clothes. I'll go to the old man. I'll fake him out. And he does. And he goes up to his dad and he says, my father. Now what's interesting is those words are true. Isaac was his father. But there's also a lie because he knows dad's going to think I'm Esau. His words are literally true, my dad, but dad is going to think he's Esau. So the deception continues. So the old man is skeptical, and that usually happens when there is deceit. Who is it, he said, which son are you? Now Jacob is going to have to actually use words to lie. He could come clean and say, ah, dad, I'm sorry, this is wrong. It's all wrong. Or he could go to the place where he actually lies with words, and that's what he does. Jacob said to his dad, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And so Isaac is still skeptical. He said, how did you find the food so quick? How did you shoot the game and get it all cooked up so fast? And Jacob could have said, ah, it's all a lie. Mom cooked it. But he doesn't. Look at what he says. Well, the reason I was able to capture that beast so quickly, praise the Lord, is the Lord your God gave me success and divine. He's using religion to spin deception. Christians do it all the time. Yeah, and, and not just the Lord. He says, the Lord, your God. Dad, you're a guy of such great faith. I admire your faith so much, and the God you love and serve was with me. Oh, stinky, nasty. Can't believe he's spinning this stuff like that. He uses his spirituality to deceive somebody else. People do it all the time. I grew up in a church where one of the marks of spirituality was to have a Bible torn all up, scribbled in, underlined, and marked up. And so you could use a markup Bible for your spiritual image management to give everybody the, oh, what a spiritual giant you must be. Yeah, well, that happens in churches. And here's what we see in the Jacob story. It's hard to stop with just one lie. Lies are kind of like potato chips. It's really hard to stop with just one. Once you're in, man, you just keep going down that road like a diehard battery. 
And I'll tell you how sensitive our souls are to being deceived. In one research project, they gave 300 people very expensive sunglasses, over $500 each. But they told half of the 300 they were knockoffs. They weren't, but they told them they were. Cheap, counterfeit, imitation sunglasses. So they're wearing these sunglasses, and then the researchers gave everybody tests. They allowed everybody to score their own test. They would give them money based on how many answers they got right. So the people who believed they were wearing fake sunglasses were three times more likely to lie about how many answers they got right and take money under false pretenses just because they were wearing fake sunglasses. See, when you feel like a fraud, you're more likely to commit fraud. That's how sensitive our souls are to living a fake life. Interesting. Now, I have to explain this carefully because my point is not that God wants you to buy really expensive sunglasses, okay? That's not the point. The point is deceit destroys trust, and that destroys relationships. So that's what happens in this family. It's a shipwreck. Esau comes in from the hunt, brings stew to his dad. His dad Isaac says, your brother Jacob came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Now, Jacob is a Hebrew word, and it meant to grab the heel. He who grabs a heel. That was an idiom in the Hebrew language to deceive. Kind of like in English, we might say, oh, you're pulling my leg. You're grabbing my heel. You're not telling me the truth. Is that not rightly his name? That's who he is, an old heel grabber. See, I tell a lie, and then another one, and another one, then I become a liar. Now, none of us think we are. We get caught, and we think, well, that's not me. That's not what I stand for. Well, Rebecca hears about what's going on. Esau now wants to kill his brother Jacob. So Rebecca says to old Jacob, you're going to have to go see your uncle Laban. You got to get out of town, move far away, or Esau's going to kill you. Now Rebecca has to tell her husband Isaac, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier to tell the truth. This is hard. All this work to cover a lie. So she's got to tell Isaac, her husband, why their son Jacob's moving far away. But she doesn't want to tell him the whole truth. She doesn't want to tell him she was eavesdropping and set up this whole deceptive plan. So here's what she does. Then Rebecca, now she gets religious. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because of all these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among these women, then I'll die. My life won't be worth living. You have to send Jacob away or else he'll marry one of these Hittite women. Now, by the way, his brother Esau married a couple of Hittite women. That didn't seem to upset anybody. But they were thought to be women who would lead towards idolatry. Rebecca says, I don't want Jacob to marry one of them. I want him to marry somebody who will keep him strong in faith so he'll be a truth teller. <laughs> yeah, right. And so she lies. Now, she probably didn't want him to marry a Hittite woman, but that's not why she sent him away. See, she didn't, she didn't want the truth to come out. She's sending him away so she could save his life from Esau who wants to kill him for his deception. But she don't want to say that because then she'd have to admit she's a liar. These are the people, folks, listen. These are the people God's going to build his church through and his community of redeemed. Aren't you encouraged? It's all about grace. It's all about grace. You know, there's no PG-rated Bible. I'm sorry. It's nasty. 
It's just rough, nasty, but the grace of God breaks in with all kinds of people, and I'm so glad it does. I am so glad it does, because there's a little Jacob in everybody, you know. This is just the truth about us. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Some of you know who he is. He's the author of the Message Translation of the Bible. And he tells about years ago when he was starting a church. It was a Presbyterian church. And he had to write a report to the denominational headquarters every month about how that startup church was doing. See, it's not on its own yet. It's not autonomous. Uh, so they have to send in reports to measure their progress, see how they're doing. Well, he never heard back from headquarters. And after a while, he started thinking, I keep writing all these reports, but I don't hear anybody coming back to me. I don't think anybody up there actually reads these reports. Now, this is Eugene Peterson, message Bible guy. So he's got the most brilliant imagination. He's gifted as a writer. So he starts making up wild stories about what's going on in his ministry just to see if anybody at headquarters was actually reading this stuff. And he's really good at it. So he told them how he had developed a drinking problem. He had started drinking before giving sermons on Sunday morning. I've thought about that a few times, but... He wrote, last weekend I was so drunk I could not finish my sermon. They had to bring an elder in to finish my talk. He never heard back from headquarters. He just made it up. Then he made up he's having an affair with a woman at the church. And they got caught carrying on in the sanctuary by somebody. He thought, I knew I was going to get fired now. He wrote, turns out the church is filled with swingers. And next weekend attendance doubled. Nothing. He didn't hear back anything from headquarters. So he kept going with another story about how he used hallucinogenic mushrooms for communion. He said it was the greatest worship they ever had. Nothing, nothing back from headquarters. He did this for three years. Finally, the church graduated. It wasn't a startup anymore, so he didn't have to send reports. And the guys from headquarters met with him to have a little party and dinner and congratulate him on now becoming an autonomous Presbyterian church. He said to these guys, by the way, did you guys ever read those reports I sent? And he said, oh, yes, we read every word. We took them real seriously. <laughs> See, none of them stepped up and said, no, we didn't read them at all. You know, it's so hard for somebody to say, I lied. I'm embarrassed that I didn't do my job. I'm embarrassed to be caught right now. It would be just humiliating for me, but I didn't read them. I told you a lie because I didn't think, I didn't want you to think badly of me, and I didn't want to look inefficient or untrustworthy. That's why I lied. Nope, I didn't say that. Just said, yeah, we read it all. Jesus' community is not a community of people who are just perfect truth-tellers, wonderful characters. See, we all have a little bit of Jacob in us from time to time. Jacob left home, went to Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban turned out to be a bigger con man than Jacob. And this is part of Jacob's moral and spiritual education, to find out how it feels. So he meets Laban's two girls, Leah, the older, Rachel, the younger, who was, the Bible says, beautiful figure. He fell head over heels in love for Rachel. So Uncle Laban said, well, work for me seven years, and I'll give you Rachel as your wife. Well, Jacob did. And they seemed to him as only a few days because of his great love for Rachel. Then it's the wedding, and there's a lot of drinking, and it's dark. And the bride is brought to the wedding tent after the party. And the text says, when morning came, behold, it was Leah. Jacob thought, what? 
I thought I got married to Rachel. But when morning came, it's Leah. So Jacob said to Uncle Laban, Uncle Laban, what have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Why, this is unbelievable. By the way, this is Jacob the liar who's saying this. Are y'all with me? He's getting conned, and he is a big con man himself. Like saying, why have you Jacobed me? He says to Uncle Laban, Uncle Laban just turned out to be better at deception than Jacob was. So typically people are kind of that way. I'm about a thousand times more likely to remember when you deceive me as when I deceive you. See, when I do it, I might not even notice it. I rationalize it. I forget it really fast. But if somebody deceives me or you, we'll carry that around forever. This is, so what happened here just bounces off Laban, doesn't give it a thought. Uncle Laban could have said, Jacob, I'm so sorry, I'm embarrassed. I know you, you're devastated. Uh, what was I thinking? But he doesn't. What he says to Jacob, he just makes this up. It's not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage. You should have known that. What were you thinking? My goodness, don't come whining to me because you didn't know that. Now that's nonsense. He's just trying to shaft him with the old girl. Are you with me? He's trying to pawn her off. Nobody wants to take her out. He's, so I'll, he, doesn't, he can't see, it's dark, and he's, he's four sheets in the wind. I'll solve my problem with Leah right now, and uh, I'll work this whole deal out. All this deception's going on. People who use online dating services routinely present themselves richer, smarter, more attractive, younger than they actually are. They'll post pictures of themselves their own mother wouldn't recognize. I'll glamour shot me up real good. I told my wife when I die and we just have a one-hour memorial service, be sure to touch up the picture. You know, <laughs> take the wrinkles out and tone it up real. I don't care if anybody recognizes me, just make it look good. I mean, who wants to look at an old dead corpse, you know? You put a glamour photo up there for crying. If, you, if you're going to, you know, find something maybe 50 years ago of your mother or something to put up there, mom would be happy you did that too, I'm sure. All right. I actually met a preacher one time, and on his newspaper, this is 40 years ago, uh, he had his picture, and when I met him, he looked like my grandfather. I thought, dear God, he's running a picture that's 40 years old. He doesn't look like that. But he liked that picture, but that wasn't who he was. little deception going on there. Goes on into church all the time. So people will go to their boss at work and say, that was a great decision when they know it's a lie. Or they'll come up to a minister after service and say, that was a great sermon when they know that was a lie. At one point, Jacob's led by God to go back home. And look what happens. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. Notice exactly what God says to him. Go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives and I will be with you. In the next chapter, Jacob's praying to God and he's gonna replay back to God what God told him if he goes back home. But there's a little difference in the spin. Look at what Jacob claims God said versus what God actually said. Look at what Jacob says. Oh God, you said to me, go back to your country, your relatives, I'll make you to prosper. And God said, Jake, you know, being God means I have a real good memory. I didn't actually say I will make you prosper. I said, I will be with you. Jacob is so addicted, so captured by deceit, it's just in him deeply so that it affects him even when he prays like God wouldn't know what God said. But God's, God's light 
God's truth. God knows the truth whether I admit it or not. This is so deeply rooted in Jacob, he goes back home. He meets his brother Esau. And there's this beautiful scene, really, of reconciliation. He says to Esau, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And they're reconciled together. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is great. Now, surely, Jacob has learned his lesson. Well, not so much. In that very conversation, Esau says, oh, my brother, come on. Let's take our flocks and our herds and our families, and we'll go back home together. And Jacob says to him, now, mine are going to take a little longer to move. I have to go a little slower, so you go on ahead. Then I'll come after you and catch up. But he doesn't. He never does. He goes somewhere else altogether. And he never sees his brother Esau again until their dad, Isaac, dies. Now, why would he tell a lie there? The text doesn't say. Maybe he just wanted to avoid his brother. Maybe he's frightened. He wants to avoid conflict that he thinks might emerge. Uh, Maybe I want to smooth things out. I want to get something I'm afraid I might not get. Maybe I'm afraid of pain or embarrassment. I want to get my way. I don't know. But we need to be a community of truth tellers. This culture doesn't, but we ought to. We should. See, when Jacob has his own son, now I'm getting ready to finish. I want you to catch this. What goes around comes around. When Jacob has his own son, this is interesting. He was so wounded because his father Isaac played favorites with his brother Esau. He used his brother's clothes to deceive the father. Then when he becomes a father, Jacob has a favorite son, Joseph. And he gives him a coat of many colors. And some of you know this story. His brothers used their Joseph's clothes, which they smeared with the blood of an animal, to lie to their father that his favorite son had been killed. It just keeps going on and on. You reap what you sow. It goes around. Just as he deceived, now he's being deceived. Now as he was played favorites, now he's playing favorites. See how this goes generation to generation? If somebody doesn't step up and come into the light and tell the truth, And part of what this text is teaching us without ever saying it in these words is how different this story could have been if Jacob could have just said to his father Isaac, Dad, I'm hurt. Do you have some blessing left over for me, Dad? Or he could have said to his brother Esau, Esau, I'm scared of missing out completely. Would you share at least something with me? Or if Rebecca could have said to her husband, Isaac, I'm worried about our boy Jacob. Or if Uncle Laban could have said to Jacob, Jacob, I'm worried about my girl Leah. And then trust God. But nobody does. And see, the reason we lie, it just gets way deep in our mouth, in our brain, in our neurons. And we don't even see it. We don't even know it. It becomes a habit, a strategy, a skill, an art form. It's a way of life. I don't trust that if I tell the truth, God will take care of me. That's why people don't give. Fear. Fear. I won't have enough. I won't tell the truth. God won't take care of me if I do tell the truth. John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So it's a great invitation. So where's God calling you or me, anybody watching online, to step out into the light? Maybe there's financial deception going on in your life. God's saying, come on, trust me, bring it to the light. Whosoever will confess his sin shall have mercy. Whosoever covereth it is going to risk judgment. You're always safer to come to the light. 
If somebody's blackmailing you, come talk to me. We'll bring it to the light. I will not throw you under the bus, and we'll nip that in the bud right there. Don't you allow somebody to blackmail you for a poor decision in your past. The fastest way to end it is run to the light. Run to the light. It's scary, I know, and the enemy will try to keep you manipulated. Don't do it. Don't pay anymore. I had a businessman who was being blackmailed falsely, but to keep bad press out, although it was not true, he was paying this guy. He says, we're going to stop that now. We're going to call the bluff. We're going to step up. Anyway, it did get resolved and stopped. But if you don't come to the light, it just goes on and on, tormenting you, tormenting you, tormenting you. So maybe you've been crossing lines in a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that dishonors God. And maybe your heart will kind of beat kind of fast when you hear those words because God's prompting you, will you bring this thing to the light? Will you come out of the darkness? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe a substance abuse. Maybe it's, I don't know, porn or uh, online gambling or whatever, and you've been living such a double life, a secret life, a hidden life. God is saying mercifully, hey, will you bring it to the light? Will you stop trying to hide it or manage it? It'll torment you the rest of your life. Maybe you've been trying to manage your reputation and spin. See, where's God calling you or me? You have to answer it, not me, to come out in the light. Stop living in deceit. Now, if you're wondering, can I really trust God? What does it mean the blood of Jesus cleanses me, purifies me? I'll tell you one more story and we're done. This is from the guy who actually teaches preachers. And here's what he says. His name is Mike Graves. Mike writes this. When a colleague and I were invited to be part of a former student's installation, this is at church, we agreed enthusiastically and traveled together to his town. Joe had coming to the service a lot of family members. So we were surprised when he told us we're all going to go out to eat that evening. And I wondered how 19 of us were going to get in and out of a restaurant in time for the service at church. I suggested to my colleague and I that we go ahead to the restaurant, put our name on a waiting list. The restaurant was packed. I wiggled through the crowd to the front of the line and found an old Amish man standing behind an old pulpit. Next to him was a hand-graved sign that said, do not give your name until everyone in your party is present. Anybody have any idea where this story is going? I understood the reason for the restaurant's policy, but I also knew that it's going to take a long time for a table for 19 to be ready. So I said, yes, we're all here. Graves, party of 19. The Amish man with his beard and hat looked at me and said, and your whole party is present? Haltingly, I said, yes. Okay, I lied, he said, but it wasn't as if I were trying to beat the system. After all, even the smaller parties were waiting 30 minutes, so we'd be putting in our waiting time too. No big deal. But my colleague with me disagreed. You lied to the Amish. You shouldn't lie to the Amish. Like lying to a Presbyterian is no big deal, but, but the Amish, no, no way. And by the time they call our name, I said, Joe and his family will be here. Two minutes later is the announcement, Graves, party of 19. I went back to the Amish man and I says, uh, yeah, 19, Graves party? Well, uh, we're not all here yet. I was nervous. The man looked me in the eyes and said, did you lie? Now, this is a restaurant. This, this was the lobby of the restaurant. Dead silence. It was as if we were in church. The people immediately around us waited, stared, wide-eyed, wondering. Everybody was watching me and the Amish guy. I replied softly, yes, I lied. Now, this is the guy who teaches preaching. Yes, I lied. 
Come with me, the Amish man said. I couldn't imagine what he was going to do. What kind of punishment do the Amish hand out to liars? I thought, is, is he going to put me in stocks? Is he going to cane me? Well, we followed him through the restaurant to the back. And he opened the door to a banquet room. A huge table was set with bread and jam. He offered a gentle smile and he said, have some bread. You are forgiven. Now that is a picture of the gospel. That's the gospel. On the night in which he was betrayed, deceived, about to be killed, Jesus calls his friends into the banquet room. This is my body broken for you. Have some bread. You're forgiven. See, the moment you tell the truth, you're forgiven instantly. I want to tell you guys because this is the invitation. Maybe you've never done it before, never come to the light. God already knows. Whatever you and I think we're keeping hidden, it's not a secret. God knows and he loves you. He gave his son to die and rise for you. But even God will not force you to step into the light. You have to do that. Have some bread. You are forgiven. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.